This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Welcome to a new week on the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this, as you know, is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, whatever is going on in your mind, in your heart, in your life. We'll do the best that we can to answer. All you need to do is call us. You can dial area code 210-340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send your question in using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Just hit the send um, button at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our KSLR studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340 9585. Hope you had a good um, holiday weekend. Hope you had a good day in church yesterday. For those of you who were able to go, we were uh, still closed and uh, doing it live stream. We will be opening uh, for one service, first service next week, uh, where people can come and join us. And uh, um, we're looking forward to that. Ladies, a quick note for you Um, there is no sweet summer devotion tonight. Uh, We've been on a two-week break, and we will resume next week uh, with Raina Wilson, and uh, you will be blessed, I promise you. So that's what's on the schedule. Okay, while we wait your phone calls, let me get to some of the questions that have been sent in. This first one comes from Manny. He says, how can I understand both God's sovereignty and man's free will? Um, Many, a lot of people see a lot of tension between uh, those two concepts, and I really don't. It's never been a problem for me, so let me try my best to explain. Um, And and it may be just something that you've got to think about from a different perspective. We know for sure that God is sovereign. God knows the end from the beginning. We also know that God requires humans to make a choice to be his. God desires that all men would be saved. Unfortunately, we know that's not going to be true. So it's clear that man uses, exercises his free will uh, to to, uh, be disobedient to the Lord. All we need to do is look around at the world that we're living in, and uh, we we understand that that's just um, obvious to all who will look. Um, I think most of the people who struggle with balancing the two doctrines, Manny, I think most of them, it's because they misunderstand God's sovereignty. It's not causative. It's not like God says, okay, I'm going to make Pastor Ron get up today and do this. 
I get up, I have to make the choice to serve God. If I choose to serve God, if I choose to follow him, then what happens is he walks me into his will, and he knew I was going to be there all along. But I made the choice to walk there with him. And again, I think we we too often mistake God's sovereignty as him making us do what he knows we're going to do. And I would suggest to you, Manny, that the reason God... um, exercises his sovereignty in our lives is because he knows what we're going to do. For example, he knows if I'm going to get up tomorrow and serve him or if I'm going to get up tomorrow and serve me. Now, if I decide I'm going to walk in the flesh instead of the spirit, then what uh, God is going to do, he's going to try to correct me. He's going to try to, 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 if I go out to talk with him, walk with him, he's going to try to change my heart because he knows what he has for me. So I have free will. I exercise it every day. I hope as I walk with Jesus more and more, I make the right choices. But that doesn't undermine God's sovereignty. In fact, and I think this is the most powerful element of God's sovereignty. When Paul writes to the church at Rome, in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. All things includes the things that he doesn't want us to do. So even when we mess up, God is working behind the scenes to get us right back in the middle of his will. So even in our rebellion, Manny, even in our rebellion, his power is demonstrated through our lives. So I hope that makes sense to you. Stop thinking of God's sovereignty as causing us to do something. It's simply that he knows what we're going to do, and then he's always at work, whether we make the right choices or the wrong choices, to bring us back together to be with him. So I hope that makes sense to you, Manny. Good question. Thank you very much. Let's go to our friend Reuben from Seguin, Texas, on line one. Reuben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Ruben. Been a tough weekend, but it's okay. Yeah, it was a tough weekend for me. Uh, I know that this show is not a prayer line. Um, I know it's for questions about the Bible, but um, my family and I really need uh, your prayer. Uh, My dad is in ICU in critical condition at Methodist Stone Oak Hospital fighting covid uh, this COVID disease. I'm at home, confirmed COVID positive as well, fighting symptoms since last Thursday. And my brother passed away Saturday morning of complications mm. of COVID. And uh, I'm so sorry, asking, Ruben. I'm just asking for the Church of God to, that's been praying for me all these years, listening to your show. To lift us up, please. We're here okay, going through a very hard time. Ruben, can I ask your dad's first name so that we can Juan, pray for Juan him? Vela. Juan? His name is Juan okay. Vela, yeah. Okay. And my brother, you, his Ruben. name was Mike. His brother was, my brother's name was Mike Vela. Okay. I'm so sorry for your loss. Let me pray now, and, and I'll keep praying, and I'm sure the audience will as well. Father, when we lift Reuben to you in prayer, we often say that he's gone through so much. And we're asking now for some relief. But, um, Lord, his dad, Juan, who's in the hospital uh, fighting this virus, um, we ask for your healing touch. By the power of your spirit, Lord, give his body strength and energy. 
help the family, including Reuben, deal with the grief from the loss of a brother. And Lord, all we can do is turn to you. There's no place else to go, no one else to turn to. So we turn to you, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, that we can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So bless Reuben, bless his family. Heal his dad, we ask for your glory. Amen. Please keep Reuben and his family in your prayers. You know, this is such a hard time. Um, you know, we, we, we have to bury people without even being able to go see them sometimes. And um, that's just the world that we live in right now. And it's a really, really tough thing. Reuben, I will be praying for you continually. Here is our next question. It is from... Jeremy. I had a hard time focusing there for a moment. He said, Pastor, and I see professing Christians flaunting their relationships, and then in parentheses says, staying together, etc., on social media, yet they're not married. They're baptized Christians, so why would they do this? Jeremy, this kind of ties into the question that I just answered about God's sovereignty and man's free will. You know, God says in his word, we know it's his will that we refrain from sexual immorality. Uh, And yet we have the freedom to make the choice about what we're going to do. And the reason that baptized Christians, and I want to emphasize that being baptized doesn't save anybody. We get baptized because we are saved, but being baptized isn't like a free ticket to heaven. We have to have a change of heart. We have to be born again. Jesus said that to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And when uh, you, you see professing believers who are living in sexual sin, Um, It grieves the heart of God. It grieves the heart of God. And here's what's going to happen. God is going to use his sovereignty to make things difficult for them. And he's going to do that because he wants them to come back. You know, when we make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, whether we mean it or not, God takes it seriously. And we're on social media and we're showing our trips. I'm with my girlfriend and we're in another city and we're doing these things and Um, you know, uh, that grieves the heart of God. And the reason Christians would do these kinds of things is simply because they're in their flesh and they're not in the Spirit. These kind of things are sin. I said three times already, it grieves the heart of God, and yet sometimes we don't care. And the truth of the matter is, Jeremy, if we're really born-again believers, the one thing that would break our hearts the most is grieving the heart of the one who died for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Can you imagine Jesus on the cross taking the punishment that our sins deserve? Knowing the whole time that we're going to flaunt his grace by sinning willfully against him. And yet we're going to go to church or we're going to call him Lord or we're going to, going to throw up those flare prayers when we have need of something. Here's the thing, Jeremy, pray for those people that you know if they're your friends. You gotta let them know that if you're a believer, you can't be doing those things. If they just kind of shush you away and, oh, don't bug us, you know, God knows our heart. Uh, I always tell people that not a scare. If you think God knows your heart with what you're doing, that ought to terrify you. But the truth is, this is just willful sin, and these are Christians who are. I'm going to say this nicely, but directly. They're Christians who've just decided that satisfying their flesh is more important than pleasing God. 
Do they have a relationship with the Lord? I don't know. But my Bible says, and so does yours, Jeremy, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5, that people who live like this, if this characterizes their life, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's a terrifying thought. Well, no, I'm saved. I got baptized. I answered an altar call. I go to church. I grew up in a Christian home. None of that matters. What matters is a change of heart. And I always, like you, Jeremy, worry a great deal about those who flaunt their sin. It's almost like saying, God, uh, you died. No big deal. I'm going to sin anyway. And I think there's nothing more dangerous. And not only is it dangerous from a spiritual perspective, but, but that gives Satan an opening to devastate people. You can believe what you want, but sexual sin gives Satan an inroad into our hearts that is different, that's deeper than all other sins. Paul says when a man sins sexually, he sins against his own body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if in fact, um, if in fact, that man is sinning against God. That woman is sinning against God. They've made a choice. And there's going to be consequences. So pray for them, but keep telling them the truth in love. Here's a question from William. Do you think the gifts of the Holy Spirit can be exercised in a carnal or false teaching church? Um, William, uh, they can be counterfeited for sure. But remember, when the Holy Spirit's in control, I always remind people his first name is Holy, and that's certainly not his name, but you get the point. And so we have to be exercising the gifts of the Spirit under the control and direction of the Spirit. Now, we know what those directions are. 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 give us how those gifts ought to work inside a church. Obviously, the chapter between is the love chapter. That needs to be the motive. And if gifts of the Spirit are being counterfeited in a carnal manner or, or, or exercised in a false teaching church, it's not the Holy Spirit who's in control. Those are the gifts that are being counterfeited by the flesh. Now, William, this has always been a big deal to me because especially in my early walk with the Lord, Paul and I would go to all kinds of churches and I would see these abuses, and it didn't feel good. But remember, I'm a brand new believer, so I don't know much. It didn't feel right. It felt like it was wicked. And yet, what did I know? And everybody else would tell me, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. I'd go in and people would be speaking in tongues all the same time, or they'd be falling on the floor. Some of them would be laughing and barking that was going through the church in those early days of my walk with the Lord. And, and you know, all I could do is look around and say, well, you know, they must know more than me. Um, but with the ability to look back and knowing now what I did not know then, what we saw was goosebump Christianity. We, we saw uh, men and women um, in their flesh pretending to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've got to understand that the Holy Spirit would never contradict what he's told us in his word. I've had people tell me, well, well, you know, the Spirit sometimes just wants to do these things, and, you know, who can resist the Holy Spirit? Well, it's not really the Holy Spirit. It's the very unholy Spirit. 
And that's really what the, the first letter, especially to the, the churches in Corinth, was all about. Everything they did, William, in Corinth was controlled by the flesh and not by the spirit. And that's why the whole letter is a rebuke. Now, Paul loves them. He's rebuking them in love. But what he's telling them is everything about your church is carnal. And he corrects them, and praise God, they responded to the correction and and um, and would seek out the gifts of the Spirit uh, to be done decently in order, which is the way they're supposed to be. So if you go into a church uh, that is carnal or is full of false teaching, it's a counterfeit spirit, and it is not the Spirit of God. Thank you, William, for that question. 340-9585. Here is a tough question for me from Tricia. She says, how can I know if a dream is from God? Um, uh, Tricia, uh, my answer is going to be completely unsatisfactory. Um, but but I, I hope you'll understand it. If a dream is from God, I think you'll know it. Uh, I am an active dreamer. Um, way more active than I want to be. Uh, and, and there are times when I'll wake up shaking my head. And my first thought was, well, well God, was that you? And, and um, you, you know, you can know from God's character, your relationship with God, um, a dream where it's all scary and stuff, that's not from the Lord. Um, but, but a dream um, that's encouraging or edifying, that there's just something about it, sort of like a, a sweet aroma that's left behind. And you know it's from the Lord. Now, here's what I do, Tricia, when I have that dilemma. Now, again, most of my dreams are just dreams. And they're active. They're bad. I'm, I'm wrestling all the time. But in those instances, when I really feel like it was the Lord trying to share something with me, I'll get up in the morning and I'll sort of re- remember the dream and say, Jesus, if that dream is from you, I need to know. I need to know that it was from you, but I also need to know what you want me to do with it. And um, sometimes he'll tell me right away. Most times it takes some time. And in those cases, I just follow it away. And I know that at just the right time, God will bring it back up and tell me what it means. Here's what I can say for sure, Tricia. If God sends you a dream, he wants you to know it's from him. He wants you to know what it means. Sometimes it's for something that you're going through right now. Other times it's something that you're going to go through at some point in the future. So don't stress out. Don't put a lot of pressure on yourself to get an interpretation of the dream. Just keep your mind and your heart open. Walk with the Lord. And here's what you say, Jesus, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. Remember Samuel as a young boy. Speak for your servant is listening. That's all you need to do. But don't stress over the dream. God, if he gave it to you, he'll let you know at just the right time what it means and what you're to do with it. I know that's not satisfying, but there's no formula. And the enemy is so busy in our subconscious. It's just one of those really difficult things. Here is an anonymous question. Why is God allowing the virus to cause so much pain and fear? Um, Anonymous, we live in a fallen world. 
often these things happen. Why does God allow the flu? Why does God allow cancer? Why does God allow um, other diseases? Why does God allow bad things to happen to, to, to people, both believers and unbelievers? Um, there's no answer to the why. These things happen. What God has promised us is that he will be with us in the virus. Whatever we're going through, when Reuben called and, and, and his family's going through something really, really difficult, Jesus is right there at Reuben's side. The God of all comfort. The God of all peace. God didn't even spare his own son suffering. Certainly didn't spare him any of the pain. The servants of God, the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, the first of the apostles martyred for his faith, they didn't escape the difficulties of living in this world. But Jesus promised never to leave them or forsake them. Well, Anonymous, he's made us that very same promise. So this is just something that happens and we don't have to go through it alone. Unbelievers have to go through this alone, but we who are believers don't. Now allow me just a couple of minutes here to talk about fear because we're dealing with this in every church, including ours. Especially when it comes to our health, we are so fearful. And fear is a normal human reaction. Don't feel guilty because you're afraid. But what we cannot do is let the fear keep us from serving the Lord. We can't let fear paralyze us into inaction because when we do that, the enemy who is relentless, who won't give you a break because you're going through something difficult, it gives the enemy an opportunity to absolutely destroy you. A sitting target is, is an easy target for the devil. And that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to pile it on more and more and more. So yes, we admit to God, Lord, I'm afraid. I don't want anything like this to happen to me. But in my fear, I choose to serve Jesus. In my fear, I choose to be in the Word. In my fear... I choose to spend my time with you. I choose to believe your promises, Lord. Not that everything is going to go okay. God's never promised us that. But here's what he's promised. He's promised that he will be with us in good times and bad. I love what Job said. Shall I accept only good from God and not that which is bad? And I think a lot of times we Christians, we have this tendency to believe that God owes us sort of a problem-free life. The Apostle Paul reads 2 Corinthians, um, all the struggles that Paul had to deal with, all of the pain, physical pain, the beatings, the tortures. But Jesus was always there. He, in fact, told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. So yeah, there's a lot of pain. We don't like it when we hurt. We don't like it when people that we care about hurt. But here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing fear ramped up to irrational levels. People stop thinking. They stop being in the Word. They stop going to God. They, 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 they are consumed by this 24-hour news cycle. 
And as believers, we have access to help, a peace that Paul describes as passing understanding. So, Anonymous, my final thought is this. Instead of asking, why is God allowing it? Don't look for the why. Look for the who. And when you are most afraid, run to Jesus. When you're most afraid, you grab your Bible and read the promises of God. When you're most afraid, you make the decision with whatever time you have left. You could be young, you could be old, you could have a lot of time left, you could have very little time left. But here's what you do. You say, Jesus, with what little time I have or what long time I have, I want to use it bringing honor and glory to you. And then you're going to find the power of the Holy Spirit in the middle of your fear. Let me say one other thing here for Anonymous and for everybody else in the audience. The fact that you're afraid doesn't mean you have weak faith. Your faith has to be activated when you're afraid. And I think too many of us, we just sort of leave our faith in a compartment and we give in to our fear and we stay put. We can't stop living our lives. We've got to serve Jesus. And then like Job, what happens, happens. The worst thing that can happen is we go and be with him. He'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your live calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our program. We've got 30 minutes left. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This question is from Mark, and he wants to know, what is the difference between filled with the Spirit and being baptized in the Spirit. Mark, I think uh, in our culture, the only difference is the wording that we use. I think they both refer to the same thing. The idea of being filled with the Spirit is being filled with power. Being baptized in the Spirit is to be immersed by the Spirit, which is the same thing. It means that we, we really need to depend completely on the power of God's Spirit for everything that we do. For everything that we do, to be a good husband, to be a good wife, to be a good son or a daughter, to be a good employee, we need to be filled with the Spirit. So what's important here isn't so much what we call it. What's important and what matters the most is that we have it, the power of God. Acts 5.32 says that God gives the Holy Spirit in power to those who obey. So obedience is the trigger. And when we step out in power, or or I'm sorry, we step out in obedience, then power meets us. Now, 
When we get saved, Mark, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. When you're truly born again, the Spirit uh, is given to us. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, says, is given to us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. When the Spirit of God comes in us, we are His. We belong to Jesus Christ. Um, That happens on conversion. But then there's another relationship with the Holy Spirit that we have to have, and that's being empowered by the Spirit or filled or baptized with the Spirit. And, And that's something we have to have every day. Now, when we read through the book of Acts, we see that the power of God comes upon people. Sometimes the initial time, it's pretty spectacular. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, um, uh, Acts chapter 19. And, and, and there are times when the Spirit comes upon, there's prophesying or speaking in tongues. There's visual evidence of the Spirit of God's presence in your life. Um, but, but that's not a once for always incident. It's something that we need every day. Every single day, what we need to do is say, Jesus, what about me and what about today? And you open yourself up to whatever he wants to do. That is the guarantee of being filled with the Spirit because you're actually letting Jesus lead instead of you leading. Instead of doing what seems right or instead of doing what makes sense. We're saying, okay, Lord, I want to do whatever it is you have for me to do. I don't want to miss a thing today. And Mark, this is my prayer. Uh, Every day as I head out, um, you know, lots of days. I hope most days. I don't know. God knows. But I hope that most days I'm surrendered to the leading of the Spirit. But there are those times when you just sort of get in a routine and you're you're going and you're, you're not really seeking God's will for your life. And he'll be faithful to sort of shake that out of you, but we've, we've got to be led by the Spirit. And when we are, we will be filled with the Spirit. Now, the first time is often emotional. The first time it's often accompanied by signs, the speaking in tongues or, 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 or um, gifts of wisdom or gifts of knowledge. Um, but most often after that, It's just a matter-of-fact decision. That's why I start every day with today of my own free will. I choose to serve Jesus, not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit and your name and for your glory. I I need to remember every day that apart from Him, I can do nothing. So, Mark, that's the difference um, um, that matters here. The difference is we need every day, all day, to be filled with the Spirit. Again, if it happens once and it's a, an ecstatic experience, God bless you. It was that way for Paula uh, when the, the Spirit came upon her for the very first time. She was saved, but, but didn't have the relationship with the Holy Spirit of being baptized in the Spirit. Uh, and it was uh, a, a day that she spent speaking in tongues, honoring and glorifying the Lord. It's only happened that one time for her. Uh, For me, when it happened the first time, it wasn't uh, goosebumps. It wasn't um, some utterance that was uncontrollable. Uh, It was just Jesus letting me know there's a new sheriff in town. And I think if we really get that mark, then we will walk in the power of the Spirit. And, of course, 
The Bible says if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If you want to know if you're baptized in the Spirit on a particular day, are you fulfilling the lusts of the Spirit or the lusts of your flesh or are you pursuing the fruit of the Spirit to honor God? Here's a question from Ted. Pastor Ron, what is your opinion on Christians drinking alcohol? Um, Ted, I, 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 let me, I don't really have an opinion. I'll just tell you what I, I think. I wish they wouldn't. I don't think there's any need for it. Having said that, and let me add one other thing. I've never seen anything good coming from it. Not one good thing has ever come from a Christian drinking alcohol. Having said those three things, um, the Bible doesn't command us not to drink at all. So um, if a believer drinks in moderation, um, he or she never gets drunk or never even approaches being drunk. You know, the idea is an altered state. And whenever we do anything that, that alters our mind, uh, we're giving Satan another huge opening to, to destroy us. Um, so um, we can't say... I wish the Bible said, but it doesn't. We can't say drinking is a sin. What we can do is what the Apostle Paul said. I'm free to do all things, but all things aren't beneficial. And I think that's the way we need to measure whether or not we should exercise our freedom to use these things. You know, are you free to drink? I've had... A lot of husbands come into counseling and say, you know, my wife is bugging me to stop drinking. I keep telling her I'm free in Christ and it's not a sin to drink. And I'll ask him two things. Do you ever get drunk? Well, yeah, but not very often. And Well, then it's a problem, isn't it? The other thing I'll say is, look, the Bible says to love your wife the way Christ loved the church, giving yourself up for her. So how are you going to justify when you talk to Jesus not doing what your wife asked when what she asked is something easy for you to do. So I wish Christians wouldn't drink, but I can't say that drinking in moderation is a sin. I I, I won't say that. I know some who do, uh, but that's going beyond what the Bible says. I can tell you this, Ted, I've seen more pain caused in the lives of people by alcohol than I ever want to even think about. So nothing good happens when we drink. If it's just something that you're enjoying for your good pleasure, um, you really need to sit down, just you and Jesus, and say, why would I want to do that? 340-9585. Today the phones are a little bit quiet. Here is a question from Larry. He says, what is the greatest danger to the church these days? Now, Larry, I'm not sure what these days mean exactly. Uh, in the context of your question, uh, if you mean the last days or if you mean the the coronavirus days or the uh, political chaos days that we've got going, um, uh, my answer would be different for all of those. Uh, I can say this. I think the greatest danger to the church in general these last days is complacency, uh, a lack of commitment, a lack of zeal. Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I really think, Larry, and I get criticized for saying this, but I think the church in America, in particular, and I'm sure this has happened in other places too, but this is where I live, uh, I think the church in America has become the Laodicean church. 
I think we are compromised. I think we're uh, more invested in the world than we are in the house of God. I think we're more passionate to exercise our freedom. We're more passionate about our opinions. My goodness, Facebook thrives because we've all got something to say. And I think that's a danger of church. We don't think biblically. Larry, I have a pastor's discipleship class that we've been doing here now for 23 of our 25 years. And we talk about this all the time. I tell them, when you say something, when you're going to do something, have a New Testament foundation. Give me Bible verses. Give me a thought that we can find in the New Testament that justifies the decision that you're about to make. And I don't think the Christian church thinks in terms of the Word of God anymore. I think we become spiritually lazy. I think we begin. I think, by the way, the question I had earlier about fear, I think this all works together. I think we're afraid because our focus is in the wrong place. The Apostle Paul, writing to the churches in Colossae, he said to set your mind on things above, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And, and, and those two things are important. The mind is the place of decision. And I think too many of us just decided we're going to do what we do. God's going to take me to heaven. And I think we miss out on the will of God for our lives. And I think that's why we're complacent. But he also says, set your heart, the, the place of desire, on things above. And I honestly believe, Larry, that we desire the things of this world a good life, an easy life, a problem-free life. I think we desire those things more than we desire the things of God. Jesus said, because they hated me, they're going to hate you. They're going to insult you and persecute you for righteousness' sake. And we don't like that. And so I, I really believe that greatest danger is complacency, lukewarmness. And I see it destroying the church. Now, We need to be aware that this isn't a surprise to any of us because that's what Paul, writing to Timothy at the end of Paul's life, said would happen. Things aren't going to get better. They're going to get worse. And and what I've seen in these days of the pandemic, in fact, I went to great lengths to share with my church that when this virus first started happening back in February and March when when it was getting ramped up and people were really being afraid and nobody knew anything about it at that time, I remember the Lord speaking in my heart and saying, I'm going to use this to shake out my church, not shake up, to shake out my church. And the picture that I had was sort of like having a towel or a sheet or something and shaking it out to get stuff off of it. And I think what God is doing with this pandemic is he's proving who really is or is not committed to him. And we're seeing because of fear. We're seeing because our focus is on so many other things. We're seeing the church being shaken out. And I think at the end of it, whether it's the church in general, whether it's my church, Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, I think when this shaking out is done, the church is going to be a lot smaller than we thought it was. We're going to watch people who are being tested in this pandemic. Their very Christianity is being tested in this pandemic, and we're, we're watching them. 
fall away. It becomes more important for them to make statements on Facebook, to take political positions, to argue with other brothers and sisters. I mean, if Jesus were writing us a letter today, it would be very similar to the one that Paul wrote to the churches of Corinth. Jesus wrote it through Paul. I just don't think there's a whole lot of spirit in the church these days. And of course, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. So that's what I think the greatest danger to the church is these days. I think biblical illiteracy is a danger. But I really believe that our own flesh and our desire for things to go easily for us is really going to be the most difficult thing. 340-9585, Patty says, Pastor Ron, do you think President Trump was chosen by God? He seems to be way behind in the polls, and if he was chosen by God, that ought not be. Um, Patty, here's another opportunity I'm going to use to expand on this question. Uh, President Trump was not chosen by God. Um, um, authorities, when you go to Romans 13, it says all the authorities have been placed there by God. It doesn't mean the individual people who occupy those positions. It means the position of authority was established by God. So it's not like God says, okay, well, I've got a Democrat here and I've got a Republican here. Um, okay, I'm going to make the Republican win. That's not, that's not at all what Romans 13 speaks about. Um, President Trump was chosen by God, I almost said, because he got the most votes, but he didn't get the most votes. He got the most electoral votes. And we ought to pray for and support our president as much as we possibly can. Um, But he wasn't chosen by God. He wasn't like God's person. Here's, Patty, something that's really important for us. Um, If you were not an Obama person, When he was in the White House, would you have asked this question? Do you think President Obama was chosen by God? Uh, You'd say, no, obviously, uh, he was the one I voted for. He doesn't stand for Christian principles, so no, he wasn't God's choice. Um, Well, why would we think then that President Trump was? These are the things that we have to understand. Let me also take this opportunity to say to everybody, And I'm speaking to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I'm speaking to the church at large. I'm speaking to this wonderful radio audience. We need to understand that we belong to a different kingdom than the people in this world. And the closer we get to November, I'm watching brother against brother, sister against sister, blue versus red. And it ought not to be. We are embarrassing Jesus with our arguments. We're embarrassing him with our passion for a political system rather than our passion for him. And it's heartbreaking to watch a brother arguing with a brother because they're on different ends of the political aisle. Can you imagine I want everybody to wonder, how would we ever explain that to the Lord? I think it's because our thinking is of this world, and our kingdom is not. So, the office of president, the office of emperor, the office of prime minister, wherever it is all the world, those offices were established by God, 
but not the people who manned them. Can you imagine if you took this all the way? Um, if you took this to its logical end, you'd have to say, you know, Caesar Nero, who killed literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Christians. He was God's man. Bring it a little bit more into the 20th century. Adolf Hitler, who murdered six million Jews. Was he God's man? He was in charge. So we really need to think this through biblically. President Trump was not chosen by God. He was chosen by the American people, by the Electoral College. Um, and you know, maybe God's going to choose somebody else. Now, I'm a conservative politically. Um, I'm under no illusion that President Trump is a believer. Um, but I certainly wouldn't vote the other direction. So we'll see. But Patty, and again, I don't know you, so this isn't about you. All believers. Jesus is reading your Facebook posts. He's reading your attacks on other believers. I know we're interested in politics. I know we're taking sides. But Jesus is in heaven saying, would you please take my side? Would you please take my side? And especially, here's a practical tip. The party you are against, the party that sets your teeth on edge, pray for those people every day and let God change your heart. You want to be filled with the Spirit, tying into an earlier question. And we've got to have Jesus' heart for these things. So I hope that answers your question, Patty. Anna says, angels are referred to in masculine pronouns. Are there any female angels? I think only on Touched by an Angel, Anna. Um, um, they're referred in masculine pronouns. Um, because they're male. Um, you know, there's no procreation uh, in heaven. Um, uh, I just don't see any any female gender assigned to angels at all. And that's okay. You know, they're asexual for the most part. In the, in the Genesis chapter 6 days, um, th- there were angels who went into the daughters of men, fallen angels. But... Um, as they've been sort of prohibited from um, that kind of activity by the Lord. Um, Today, angels are just angels, and they're glorious. Every time somebody in the Bible sees one, they fall down on their face and and begin to worship, and the angel says, oh, don't worship me, get up, I'm just a servant of God, just as you are. But to see an angel, or if they were genderless, um, but but female angels are an invention of television screens. We've got a phone call. Let me get it. We've got a few minutes left. Jimmy from San Antonio on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. No, um, I just want to give you an update. Uh, Martha and Tatiana are a lot better. Oh, good. Praise the Lord. Just, Martha has a little bit of sore throat. Praise the Lord. Yeah. How are you feeling, Jimmy? I'm good. I'm good. I, don't have, I don't feel any symptoms or anything. So. Okay. And I'm negative, so I'm, but I, I'm like, you know, I, I haven't seen them. Well, I do. I I drop off stuff, like I do errands for them, but I can't get close to them. 
Yep. I drop off stuff at the gazebo in the backyard. <laughs> so, it's, I mean, I agree it's with a weird, you're saying. Cause, huh? It's a weird what? time we're living in, isn't it, Jimmy? Yes, sir. And then I agree with everything you're saying because I do tell my friends and I do see them on Facebook criticizing them all. And I say, you know what? We just need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Word of God is powerful. But just trust in His Word and stop yeah. criticizing and let God do His work. Okay? That's what I tell them. Yeah. You know, some, Jimmy. Some don't um, want to listen. Some don't want to listen to some do. Yep. When when the the election is over, the day after, whoever wins, Jesus will still be on the throne, and we need to remember that. So let me let me take this opportunity to ask all real Christians: If you are really a born again believer, and we know that we need to love one another, you'll know them by their love. When you are on Facebook, now Facebook is a cesspool. It's it's the devil's playground. He's the one in control there. He's the the the. The prince of the air, Paul says. When you see somebody that you know as a believer, and they're speaking, I shouldn't say speaking, they're typing ill of somebody else because they have a different perspective. They're saying ugly things. All real Christians ought then to get in and say, brother, sister, as a Christian, you ought not to be saying these things or writing these things. We need to love one another and rebuke them in love. I mean, you don't say, I rebuke you. Just say, you know, as a Christian, we ought not to be doing these things. And and you'll probably get hammered for doing it, but that's okay. Um, Jesus will be proud of you. It's an amazing thing. Christians will just sit by and watch other Christians vent and not say anything because they don't want to challenge them. We don't want to be unfriended. We don't want to be talked about behind our backs. But we've got to do that. If you're a real believer, how can you argue with other real believers about these things? It always takes two to argue, so you be the one to back out. I always like Abraham and Lot when, when Lot was, we, we've got to separate, we, we've got too much. And, and um, Abraham said, look, you choose. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. Um, we got to be the ones who stand for and stand with Jesus by saying, look, as a believer, you ought not to be involved in a conversation like this. As a Christian, you ought to apologize, repent, and say you're sorry. As a believer, let the Spirit of God control your fingers, your keyboards, your mind. Instead of just doing... I mean, we vomit all over Facebook. We vomit all over social media. How in the world are we ever going to explain that to God? How are we ever going to explain that? I don't know, and yet nobody listens to me when I talk about this. Thank you, Jimmy. Appreciate the call. We're continuing to pray for your family. We love them. Hey, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Please keep Reuben's father, Juan, in your prayers. Uh, Please pray for... Um, Michael he's going through some really difficult things may the Lord bless you and keep you I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word see you then thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh the word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com 
The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.